That music means your next hour is going to be about connection. Welcome to This Show Is All About You, a show dedicated to discussing and experiencing the things we all have in common. When you and me become we and explore what it means for all of us. Here's your host, historian, writer, social commentator, and a whole lot of other things, J.D.K. Winnikin. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another episode of This Show is All About You. Thank you for taking the next hour to spend with me. We're going to have some conversations uh, around some things that maybe we normally talk about, but maybe not quite in the same way or to the same depth. Uh, Hopefully, uh, you find it uh, interesting, stimulating, and uh, I appreciate you uh, giving it a shot. Uh, if you are wanting to hear more episodes of this show, you can find this show as a podcast wherever you find your podcasts. You can also uh, connect with me at my website, wordsbyjdk.com, or on uh, social media at uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Just look up my last name, W-Y-N-E-K-E-N. You'll find me rather easily. Would love to chat with you and uh, see how things are going. There's a lot going on right now, which we're going to talk a little bit about today. Thanks to our sponsor right away here at the front end, uh, Airway Science for Kids, which is a nonprofit based down in the Portland, Oregon area that provides life and career pathway opportunities to underserved youth through the exploration of all the careers in aerospace. And yet they do that in a way that is uh, quite broad and deep and holistic, for lack of a better term. And uh, you can find out what all that looks like, how it works, and why it's so successful at their website, airsci.org, A-I-R-S-C-I.org, and you'll hear more about them during the breaks. So welcome to another episode on this Halloween for 2022. Happy Halloween to all of you out there. No, I am not dressed up in the studio. Um, somebody suggested maybe I was just a black cat because like, I'm a cat hanging out and I'm wearing black today, which I am. It's as far as I could go. Uh, my dismay was that I don't, just don't have anything orange in my, my closet to wear. So, uh, yeah, when I was telling uh, Eric Ryder, who's in here with me, uh, that I wait too long every year to figure out uh, what I'm going to dress up as for Halloween or what I'm going to do. And so oftentimes nothing happens. So this is one of those days. But nevertheless, I'm in here talking to all of you. So that's what I'm doing for Halloween. So let's kick off the show, as we always do, by taking a look at the past week's news in my segment that I call, What in the World is Going On? It's new tactic, targeting the Ukrainian power grid. It's led to blackouts here in Ukraine, but no collapse in morale. As Russia's nuclear forces started annual drills this week, President Putin repeated his government's allegation that Ukraine could detonate a radioactive device, a so-called dirty bomb. Some fear Russia's planning a false flag operation, staging an incident and blaming Ukraine, perhaps as a pretext for using a nuclear weapon. That, of course, is the latest out of uh, what's going on between Russia and Ukraine. As Russia's situation on the ground gets worse and goes down, their rhetoric goes up. That's a general rule of thumb, usually, for these types of dictatorships, is when things go poorly, they, uh, they ratchet up the saber-rattling. And that is one of these things here, too. Now, of course, it's important to take seriously anything that involves nuclear weapons. Uh, however, I think it is uh, quite interesting that... Uh, Putin keeps talking about it, even though he also says he's not going to use nuclear weapons 
Uh, and it's, it's easy to be cynical about it, and it's easy to be overcome by fear of it. What it does indicate, though, is the standard things that normally states and militaries do when they're winning a war are not happening for Russia. And uh, this is one of those conflicts where reading between the lines is incredibly important. What is not being said, what is not being considered, what is not being done can be just as important as what is being done, what is being said. A couple of other big developments. There were new missile attacks uh, by Russia on Ukrainian cities uh, all over the country uh, earlier this morning. That follows up an attack by a number of um, unmanned sea vehicles and drones that uh, Ukraine used to once again attack Russia's Black Sea fleet. And uh, apparently fairly successfully may very well have uh, badly damaged a couple of more uh, big Russian warships out there in the Black Sea. Uh, hard to know. At the same time, uh, Ukrainian forces continue to push eastward and southward. It is turning into a bit of a slog. Some of that has to do with uh, renewed Russian resistance and the arrival of some of these 300,000 men that they've thrown into, that they've conscripted, the Russians have, into the breach. Uh, some of it has to do with the approaching uh, winter. We are on the verge of November. It is about to get very cold and very difficult to fight uh, in that part of the world. And, uh, and yet, the, uh, the concern around that dirty bomb claim that Ukraine is going to use them as a possible pretext for Russia to use tactical, tactical nuclear weapons in the field remains something to keep an eye on. Um, nevertheless, um, it doesn't disguise the fact that Russia continues to lose this war. And there are some important developments coming up uh, in this country, as a matter of fact, uh, that might have a role in how this turns out in the long run. We'll get to that, that a little bit later in the show. Right now, let's uh, get an update also what's happening in Iran. Iranian protesters don't know if the person standing next to them is with them or about to abduct them. There's often been a heavy and visible security presence at protests as the regime tries to maintain control. But plainclothes police are also operating, stealing people off the street. The city of Karaj has seen some of the fiercest protests. They've taken place near a university, and the protesters are young. The uh, protests in Iran are now going into their seventh, uh, nearly eighth week. And over the weekend, the head of the Revolutionary Guard, essentially the head of security for the Iranian state, announced that the next day, which would have been yesterday, Sunday, was going to be the last day that protesters would be in the streets. Well, as of this morning, Monday, they're still in the streets. In fact, not only are they still in the streets, but... At 122 Iranian universities today, there are protests going on that are being met with violence and the kind of uh, kidnapping right out in the street that you heard in that clip. Uh, this is a situation that is only getting worse for the Iranian state. They are clearly unable uh, to quell this violence the way they want to or quell the protests the way they want to. And uh, it's resorting now to those types of kidnappings, uh, open-ended imprisonments, and opening fire on their own people. And that is pretty much the bottom of where you can get in something like this, where your youngest, best and brightest, the ones that are educated the most, the ones that have the biggest dreams, the ones that have the most at stake to make Iran a successful state, the state is actually turning their guns on them, right? In Russia, actions by Putin is driving out the best and the brightest minds in the country uh, by the thousands <laughs> to avoid the draft. And in Iran, they're opening fire on their own people. This is not a recipe for success. And when you focus first and foremost on security, and the uh, Ron's president said, he quote, 
Security is the red line of the Islamic Republic, and it shall not be crossed, end quote. When security is all you are really interested in, when it is all you are focused on, when it is driving everything about your responses as well as your policies, uh, there might very well be something wrong. And that's not just true in Iran uh, and in Russia, but it can be true anywhere, uh, including here. And if you want a great example of that, we're seeing it right now with the lead up to the midterm elections next week. So that's our last clip for the day. This case, what we have is federal officials concerned about really the next 14, 20 days, maybe longer than that, that, um, that these uh, domestic violent extremists, DVE violence, includes, you know, targeting, potentially targeting candidates running for public office, elected officials, election workers, political rallies, political party representatives. Of course, that is a reference to the Department of Justice and Homeland Security memo that went out over the weekend expressing uh, deep concerns about a atmosphere of violence that could be surrounding the upcoming midterm elections being held a week from tomorrow uh, all over the United States. In fact, voting has begun in many states, including where I am in Washington state. And uh, deep concerns and, of course, exacerbated over the weekend by uh, the shocking home invasion attack um, on the Pelosi household, uh, where Speaker Nancy Pelosi was not at home, but her husband, 81-year-old Paul, was and was attacked by someone who was looking for her uh, and somebody who uh, prescribed to all the debunked theories about the stolen 2020 election, among other things. And uh, that violence uh, wounded uh, Mr. Pelosi and has led to a whole new round of, uh, <laughs> frankly, dismaying rhetoric. Uh, from some corners uh, about the attack and uh, and certainly an increase of fear of what this violence might portend for the future of the country beyond just next week's elections. And, uh, you know, and it's not made it wasn't made any better by things like Elon Musk, the new owner of Twitter, putting out a tweet and then rescinding it, uh, you know, pitching essentially conspiracy theory about what had happened in the Pelosi attack. And at the same time, there's increased anti-Semitism on the rise and in the news, thanks to um, similarly unhelpful, to put it mildly, uh, public comments by Kanye West, by Kyrie Irving of the, uh, the Brooklyn Nets basketball team, and by people who are essentially expressing their agreement uh, with their anti-Semitic ideas uh, in public forums all over the country. In fact, yesterday during uh, the broadcast of the National Football League football games, which many people watch, on Sundays in the United States, there was a uh, a, a commercial uh, by a nonprofit organization run by Robert Kraft, who is the owner of the New England Patriots, uh, denouncing that anti-Semitism and pointing out that uh, Jews make up only 2.2% of the population in this country, and yet uh, attacks on them or t targeting of them has gone up uh, 50% in the last 18 months, calling upon all Americans to pay close attention to this and to speak out against it, to denounce it, and uh, to challenge uh, people on it. And it was quite an interesting thing to see in the middle of a national football uh, game broadcast. And then the fear, of course, on top of that is even more as fears of voter suppression at polling places in states around the country, many of which have passed new restrictive voting laws in the wake of the 2020 election. Things like armed guards, quote-unquote, at voting stations or at voting uh, at ballot drop-off points uh, this being prominent enough in states like Arizona, uh, but also up here in the Pacific Northwest, 
that national co coalitions of law enforcement agencies who represent, who have representatives on the right and the left coming out and telling these people who are going out, taking it upon themselves to quote unquote guard these stations, that they should go home, that they're a major part of the problem. And when law enforcement across the board is coming out and saying this is not a good idea, uh, it's usually a good idea to listen. And so with all of that, right, I'm going to ask, I'm going to start us off with a question uh, today as we dive into this. I'm going to talk about the midterm elections, uh, and I'll talk about why in just a minute. But I'd like to ask you really quickly to ask yourself this question. How do you feel? Just on the heels of hearing everything I just went over, the midterms, it's happening in Iran, Russia. How do you feel? And more importantly, what are you feeling? Can you name them? I can name what I'm feeling. Uh, uh, anxiety, stress, uncertainty, frustration, fear, certainly, and fear will be a big topic today. Uh, I also have hope. Uh, I have some calm. And... Uh, yeah, that's what I'm feeling. So I'm asking you, identify what those might be for you today, because that's really what we're going to talk about, the midterms uh, and feelings. And let me tell you where this is coming from. Of course, I could take next week's show to talk about the midterms, since it'll be the day before those midterms or uh, those elections are actually counted. Uh, but I thought that might be a little too little too late. And in light of how um, extreme and amped up people's feelings are right now, I thought it would be good to talk about it the week before uh, to give all of us a chance to kind of take some deep breaths, which is also going to be important, connect with our feelings about what's going on, and then perhaps, you know, think about what are some things we can do with them in light of everything that seems to be so uncertain, so open-ended, so frightening, uh, particularly every time you look at social media, turn on the news, there seems to be something for us to be afraid about or fearful of or some outcome that we don't have control over. So, this is where this came from. Uh, last week, I was talking with a friend of mine about uh, the October 24th episode that I did last week. And in the course of the conversations, uh, you know, midterm elections came up. And, and she mentioned to me how the one thing that nobody was really talking about was really how we were all feeling about these things. What are our feelings about this? Now, uh, we hear reports, for example, you know, anxiety is up, fear is up, anger is up that are just kind of thrown into pretty much every headline and every story, and they run through the energy on newscasts and that type of thing. But that's not what I think we were talking about. What we were talking about is our own personal feelings and our emotional connection to what's going on and where are we as individuals, one by one, um, in this whole process with our feelings. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that because I think there's, there's a lot to be made here in terms of what is not being talked about. And it's also in part, I think, explanatory for why we are where we are in all of this. And it, and it is an age old story that runs throughout the history of humanity that uh, <laughs> emotional wherewithal and emotional health and intelligence tends to be of more positive effect than disconnection from all of those things. And so yes, this will be a call to connection in some ways, but in ways that I don't think are all that foreign or unfamiliar to us. It's just they're, they're very easily lost in the shuffle of what we are all listening to, talking about, reading about, contemplating as these elections come up. But even more broadly than that, we've been in this cycle for a number of years now. 
And it looks like we'll be facing similar uncertainties moving forward, no matter what happens uh, next week, what the outcome is of those elections here in the United States. So let's talk about this with, with fear. And this is where I want to start. Fear is a very interesting emotion in the sense that, uh, depending on the context, it can be a really good thing or it can be a really destructive thing. Certainly, if you are afraid for your own safety in the moment, uh, the fear that has you drive, run, drives you to call for help or to run away or anything like that is a very good thing and a very important thing to pay attention to. Where fear can be, of course, debilitating is when fear starts being applied to what might happen in a given situation that we are feeling uncertain about or feeling anxiety about or feeling sadness about. What does it all mean? And here um, I'm going to be crossing over a bit into the other show that I'm a part of, Breaking Up With Our BS, that I host with my friend Tawny Santabria, where we talk about the importance of recognizing the stories that we can make up about what might be happening in a moment or happen because of a moment that can just amp up our emotions even more so. And before we know it, we're having emotional responses, maybe more and more extreme in some way, shape, or form, to things that aren't actually happening. And fear can also lead us to take any given moment, and even an important moment, like an election, and make it the deciding point, the focal point, for everything that is going to happen beyond it. And in some ways, the way elections are run these days and the way campaigns are run and ads are run feed this problem, right? And it's something that we oftentimes don't see. All right, so that's where we're going to pick up. So be paying attention to how you're feeling. Know what those are as best you can because it's going to be important moving forward. So take a deep breath, (laughs) and we'll be right back uh, with more about this on This Show is All About You. See you in a minute. Kids never have trouble dreaming about their future. The challenge is providing them the resources and opportunities to reach them. This is especially true from historically underserved communities. Fortunately, there's an organization that can help those dreams become reality. Airway Science for Kids helps underserved youth develop life and career pathways through exploration of aviation and aerospace. Using in-person and virtual programs, along with partnerships with companies, educational institutions, community health providers, and other resources, Airway Science for Kids helps students not only find their dream careers, but also learn how to better advocate for themselves and connect more effectively with their families, peers, and communities. To find out more, visit airsci.org. That's A-I-R-S-C-I.org. Or email info at airsci.org. Airway Science for Kids. Providing aerospace for all. Welcome back, everyone, to this show is all about you. We are talking about the upcoming midterms uh, in the United States. And maybe that's the last thing any of us really want to be talking about, seeing as we're inundated with it. But I'm going to ask you to bear with me as we continue, because really what I'm interested in today are our feelings about it and not our feelings about whatever political side we happen to be on on a given issue and, and who's on the other side. Those are things that that clearly if those were going to be a solution to our problems, we would have found that solution long before now. Uh, so I kind of like put that aside as best we can, because the things I'm talking about can apply to any of us at any time, 
no matter where we are on the political spectrum. But I will stand on one thing I said right before the break, and that is uh, fear is the great driver of disconnect oftentimes uh, from ourselves and from other people and uh, from the larger society that we live in. Uh, fear of losing something, fear of not getting something, fear of having something taken away. Um, oftentimes, particularly in politics, the messaging can be driven by fear. If we do not do this now, then A, B, C, D are going to happen. And then the long run, we will end up in a dystopian uh, future, either of, of the right's making or of the left's making. Uh, the catastrophizing can take over really quick, you know, and it makes every single issue and every single vote seem cataclysmic in its importance. And it's, off, it's not to say that those things aren't important. What it is to say, though, is that we can't necessarily, and we, we aren't good as people, predicting exactly how these things are going to play out. We worry about all the potential consequences that we can see, and usually what drives these in the history of humanity are the unseen and unintended consequences of various things like votes and Supreme Court decisions and uh, military actions. Those tend to be the drivers of what actually does happen in the long run. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't pay attention to these things or participate in them, but it does mean we have a little bit of work to do, perhaps on an individual level and certainly collectively, in our perspective building. And where does that start? And what I'm suggesting is, is that it starts with each of us and recognizing where fear about what might be coming up politically, no matter where you stand, what is that doing to each of us? And what are the consequences of that in how we're taking care of ourselves, how we connect to other people? It could be in our family. It could be our friends and loved ones. It could be with our partners. It could be with our coworkers, with the nation at large. Uh, these things matter because if all these things are happening to varying degrees among each of us, and there are millions of us here, this seems to be, to me at least, one of the most important questions for us to address. And perhaps we don't need to find answers so much as we need to ask the questions and leave open the possibility that we don't know the answers fully. That might lead to more curiosity and more inquisitiveness and more openness to connecting with ourselves, maybe making some adjustments in what we think, and perhaps being a little more accepting or open to connecting with other people, including people that we may not agree, about, agree on everything with. Um, there's limits to that, certainly. But nevertheless, it's something to work to be thinking about. Uh, in this election cycle, what I can tell you is that uh, fear seems to be the primary driver uh, in all this fear. And, and what oftentimes come out is, comes out of fear is that there is somebody to blame and there is somebody being victimized by that. Somebody is the victim. Somebody's responsible. And it's usually an individual. If it's a, you know, if it's a, a person on person election, uh, this person is responsible for that. The claims being made of what individual candidates or incumbents are responsible for in a larger American society are completely over the top. And it doesn't matter where you look. Here in Washington State, it's certainly true. But I've been looking at a lot of political ads from throughout the country, and all of them seem the same in that regard. Uh, blaming individual politicians for things that are such a macro set of issues, um, all in the name, of course, getting a different person elected, who then, of course, being targeted uh, for very specific things as well and being blamed for things that are beyond uh, their control as well. And what gets lost in that, of course, is uh, the important decision on who would be the best representative on something to go to Congress or the governor's mansion in a given state 
uh, to effectively run that and follow and obey and respect the will of the people who elected them, including the people who did not vote for them. These are all basic elements of American civics, but you do not see these things being talked about. Instead, uh, what beco it becomes almost a game of one-upsmanship, whether it's with memes or with commercials um, or with various kinds of attacks, verbal and otherwise. Now, this isn't uncommon. Uh, Fear tends to drive people to the polls. It's the lowest common denominator to get people to act. Getting people to act out of happiness is one thing, but that's usually out of sponta spontaneity, right? Your team wins the national championship or the World Series. People spontaneously flood downtown for a uh, parade, and millions of people show up, and they're all happy. They all put aside their, their differences for a day, and they celebrate that one thing they all have in common. That tends to kind of come out of nowhere. Uh, when you're really trying to get something done, though, if you can scare the hell out of people, oftentimes that seems to do the trick, or at least the idea is that is what's, what does the trick. And the more people react that way and announce that they're reacting that way, the more that's going to keep happening because it will be seen as proof among those who run these types of campaigns that this is exactly what works. And so then, of course, the question becomes, well, if, if they're going to be using that kind of fire, we have to meet fire with fire. What I'm suggesting is uh, maybe in the short term, that's what can work. But at what cost to the long term health of the body politic or society at whole, as a whole? Uh, again, if those were really going to work uh, to create a happier, healthier society, it would have worked by now. So while this is common and drives people to vote, it is seemingly really off the charts uh, in this cycle. And candidates tend to be following, I've noticed, th what their ads say rather than their ads following what they're saying. And that's an issue. And that seems to me is where it becomes the messaging of the 30-second soundbite is what's going to become dominant rather than the larger ideas, actions, records of the people in question. And for each of us, with all of the, all the threats to our ability to focus on things for a very long time, right? Short attention spans everywhere. That's part of the problem is if we are going to react to those things and base our decisions off of those things, then we're feeding the issue. Now, again, not to say that fear is necessarily a bad thing. No matter what side I've noticed you happen to be on on a given issue or political party, there's a lot of fear going on that's driving this. And as I said, uh, when people have gained something and then it's, at, then it's perceived to be at threat of being taken away, that can drive people. When people feel close to getting something and then the opportunity is going to be taken away, that can lead to action. Uh, and certainly across the political spectrum, you hear that in what people are saying. If this issue goes this way, we will lose this, or the group that I'm most affiliated with will lose that. And it might be true in some cases. And that matters. But that's not really what I'm talking about. What I'm getting at is the type of fear of what will that all mean? What will it mean for me? And will my security be threatened? As I mentioned at the top of the show, security is something that we have to be careful of. <laughs> because this idea, first of all, that security is the most important thing in the world, I would question on a lot of different levels. I would also ask us all to consider to what extent 
what kind of security are we talking about? And some of it is very, very important. Okay? But what I'm getting at is mainly this. If our, if our fear of our own security is what is driving us from a selfish point of view, this matters most to me and me alone, we are missing a number of opportunities, first of all, to ask ourselves those questions of what actually makes me secure in myself and in my surroundings, and what can other people experience in terms of their own security that I can contribute to or not take away from. And while that might sound like it requires a wholesale rewiring of ourselves, it doesn't. <laughs> what it does take, though, is a recognition first and foremost of how easy it is for those fears, that insecurity, that fear of, of either losing security or needing to gain it, what it can actually do. And it comes at us from all directions. We see it in our social media, not just in stuff that campaigns put out, but what we say to one another or what somebody says that we react strongly to and start a, you know, start a troll war over. It happens there. It, it comes from the conspiracy theories that, and it fuels those conspiracy theories, right? They are, they are seeped in fear. Almost every single conspiracy theory you can think of is steeped in fear. And of course, then in our responses to them, that can fuel them. The battle lines get drawn even further apart. Right? And of course, social media gives that great illusion that everything is an even playing field in terms of the truth telling that's going on. Make something look good enough. It can seem legitimate enough that enough people will believe it. And it creates these pockets, these little echo chambers where all these ideas can continue to expand, 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 grow, 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 and frankly, metastasize in the long run. And of course, in that process, the most obscene and controversial ones are the ones that rise to the top, that gets the most attention, that get most commented on, and it elevates the worst of that rhetoric and all the fear that comes with it to the top of our attention span. And then, guess what? It just sows more fear. And the cycle continues and continues and continues, and we lose sight of what is actually happening, and we lose sight of where we are individually in a given moment. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't feel uncomfortable. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be afraid of the direction the country might be going in or the fear of what might happen if a certain law gets passed, if a certain person gets voted in or out of office. Those are understandable concerns. But none of those are predictable fully in the way that we really want them to be in the, and really in the way that we often act as if they are, and therefore we have to do something in all of that. So as I suggested at the top, fear itself isn't the problem. It's a normal feeling. It's how willing are we to sit with that fear and explore what that means and how it manifests in ourselves and how we respond to it. And what kind of stories does it fuel in us about what might happen or what the meaning of this A, B, and C happening might be? Well, if it moves us into the blame and victim cycle, then we are stuck in those strongly opposed polarities that really are the problem. And so are oftentimes, quote unquote, the solutions that can come with it. And this is where we have to really individually, I think, take a good look at ourselves, take a deep breath, recognize what those emotions are we are feeling in a given moment, and then 
check that against some of our responses. So, for example, ones that I see a lot. Well, God's got this in the end. I can hear that a lot from people, right? Well, maybe so, if you believe that. It can also easily become an excuse to do nothing. And I've seen that a lot <laughs> in my life, and I refuse to follow that in that sense. The flip side of that is, whether people believe in God or not, is I have to do something, which by itself is okay, just like God's God, it might be okay. But what can happen there is it can easily become an attempt to do everything and do more and more and get more and more extreme, more and more lost in the fear and the emotions, the activity to the detriment of ourselves. First and foremost, our own self-care, our own mental wellness, our own physical wellness. And at the worst extreme, it can make us vulnerable and prone to embracing simplistic solutions like conspiracy theories and others to explain our problems and to have somebody to blame and keep ourselves in the victim spot, which can be a lot more comfortable to be in. Even history itself, in my opinion, can be a hindrance in all of this. Looking back into history and trying to find every single example to support one's position. It's not a bad thing to do. However, exploring all of that in history may or may not give us any idea or any better clear choice of what to do in the present. It reminds me of what uh, Marianne Williamson said once in one of her books when she said, <laughs> you, do not f you do not escape the darkness by simply exploring the darkness. You step into the light. To me, what that means is, is no matter where feelings may come from, no matter what things have happened in the past, no matter what examples we want to draw from, even from our own experiences, the choices in the now are simply that, right now. Our healing is in the now. Our choices are in the now. And then what's in the future will have yet to be determined. And whatever choice we're making in the moment may or may not be decisive. There are plenty of things out there that we have no control over, including the results of upcoming elections, no matter how much we want to have control over them. We can participate in a process that's vital that we all do, but that doesn't determine all the consequences of that and what it will mean for us. It just simply doesn't. How well we can sit with that set of feelings that come with that can go a long way as well. To me, what this comes down to is a key point to ask ourselves. And I ask myself this every day in some capacity. To what degree are the externals around me determining my internal well-being? To what degree are the externals around me driving my internal sense of well-being? And sometimes it makes sense. When something sad happens, a loss, feeling grief makes sense. That external has a huge impact on the, on the internal. And that's okay. And that's appropriate. But what about all these things that I have no control over, that I might have strong opinions about, that I'm going to cast my vote about? What if they all don't go the way I want them to? What will drive me in that? What if they directly affect me? Which they might. Again, I come back to that same question. To what degree can the, do the externals around me determine my internal 
responses? And am I acting on those? And it's there, I think, if we can sit with that on a daily basis, even a moment-by-moment basis, we might be able to see some areas that need further exploration in ourselves, first and foremost. In particular, it seems to me, are our values. What are my values? And in this, I'm not talking about things like religious values or political values. I'm talking about the values of what it means most to me as a human being to show, to express, and to live by. So for me, some of my values, and I've, I've actually identified these. I've spent time on them. And I've figured out which ones matter to me and which ones don't. And they can change over time. That's the great thing about these. Kindness is one of my values. As much as possible, I want to be kind. Being giving. Courageous. Thoughtful. Connected. Caring. Balanced. Engaged. Those are just some of them. These are ones that and ones that aren't as important for me. Uh, let's see. Some values aren't important to me. Notoriety uh, isn't as important to me. Once it was. That's sort of going down the list. Um, achievement going down the list as well. For some people, it's higher, and that's okay. Recognition also going down. And understanding what that means for me right now, that's me operating off of my internals rather than my externals. Okay, so let's think about that for a little bit. We'll take another break, and when we come back, we'll wrap up with some thoughts on this as well as something from the history bag when we come back on This Show's All About You. I'm Julia Cannell, Executive Director of Airway Science for Kids. We sponsor This Show is All About You because it exemplifies our core values, connectivity, communication, emotional intelligence, positivity, respect, and the power of possibility. Help us introduce historically excluded youth to all of these through the wonder and promise of aviation and aerospace careers. Airway Science for Kids, providing aerospace to all. Visit airsci.org to learn more and to contribute your talents. Don't ask me to talk. Don't Ask Me to Talk is a program about sharing something good. Hosted by me, Stacey Heller, with my co-host and my mom's favorite, Eric Ryder, Don't Ask Me to Talk echoes what we're talking about when we aren't being so serious. We'll highlight what's good to watch, read, see, listen to, and more with a reoccurring spot with Vance Dingfelder of Dingfelder's Delicatessen called What Are We Eating? Tune in Thursdays from 3 to 4 on AM 880 KIXI. Welcome back, everyone, to this show is all about you. Talking about feelings. <laughs> Lots of songs about those come to mind. Uh, but feelings in the context, of course, of the upcoming midterm elections, but really can be about any of the externals, as I talked about before this last break. Any of the externals that are really putting pressure on us, whether it's about what's coming up politically in this country, socially, what's going on around the world, and where does our internal response come from? And I, I was talking about values before the break. and those are sort of those emotional connected values. What are the things that guide how I want to live 
myself? What gives me the best sense of inner peace and direction and eternal navigation? What are those values? And if we don't know what those are, or if they are defined by things outside of us and told to us, that could be part of the challenge that we could be facing. And so, for example, in, um, if, if you know what your values are, it's easier to recognize that the heavy lifting politically, what goes on, happens between elections. Not the elections themselves. The elections are the culmination of a cycle that's been going on since the last cycle or longer of a lot of work, a lot of conversations, a lot of meetings, a lot of backdoor discussions that are culminating in something that then the body politic votes on. That, of course, can increase stress. But if we recognize from the value of being engaged, being connected, participating in the political process, those can be values, then it's a commitment to be paying attention between those cycles to what's going on rather than be de- having those things be determined more and more for us by the time a general election rolls around and we have to choose maybe from candidates that we don't particularly like one way or the other. Recognizing that that goes on and then that what does that mean for me is a different set of questions because that's something that we have con- some control over. A response to what's happening now rather than getting caught up in the questions about what will this all mean when it's over and what will it do. That will just be another recipe for more fear. So if these external realities, as we, if we define them externally, it ignores our own internal strength and the internal strength of what those values might be. And what can happen is if we're disconnected from our feelings, including fear, but if we're disconnected from those, everything becomes about the external. The external issue, find the external uh, solution. If I vote for this and this law passes, this will determine it in all perpetuity. We want the external things to be taken care of because then we can feel secure. And yet, that doesn't really seem to work in the long run. Our sense of security starts, of course, within ourselves. And then when we know what that is, when we're secure in our own feelings and our ability to sit with them, then we can take a look at the externals outside of ourselves and have a better sense of what is actually a threat to those values, maybe for me and for others around me, and what isn't worth worrying about. And what's not worth making up a story about. Because if we all simply disconnect from our feelings, we make it so much easier for those extreme polarities of opinion and divide to just get deeper and deeper and deeper and to engage in the type of rhetoric that blows up families, that, that does irreparable harm in some cases to relationships, that hurts ourselves. Or we can take actions to numb our feelings or project them onto others. It's a very real thing. And what happens is if those externals get focused on, and by that I mean ideologies from outside of ourselves, no matter what they are, religious, political, or otherwise, we suddenly lose a sense of our own built-in internal compass, which has to start with us understanding our own emotional makeup and what really matters to us about ourselves. 
and it doesn't have any it doesn't ask the question at all of what other people should or should not do those have to come later we put those before ourselves it's too easy to become part of that polarity and be unsatisfied in the end what happens when those extremes get hit well certainly those are part of the things that feed the fear right discussions of a second civil war in this country and certainly there was violence against politicians in the lead up to that war. There's been violence against politicians in American history for a long time. So you can say, I suppose, but again, don't know that. And everything that happens in the present is a distinct event from previous ones. Even all the connections they, they might have that you can trace or guess about. They're all unique into, in and of themselves in the now. And certainly the big example that comes to mind for me and this is not to say this is what's going to happen in this country or anywhere else, but the biggest examples, the biggest warnings from history come from places like Nazi Germany. Back in 1929, when the stock market crashed, Germany's economy went with it for a lot of different reasons, uh, and they were one of the worst hit in the Depression by unemployment, um, starvation in some cases, uh, and political gridlock because of the parliamentary system they were in. Long story short, over the next three years, a series of elections, governments kind of came up and then couldn't pull the country together into coalitions, fell apart. And in that process, as Germans became more and more frustrated, they already didn't necessarily trust the political process to begin with uh, because of all these varying divides around race and class and political affiliation. For all those reasons, as the hardship deepened, by 1932, half of Germans were voting to throw out democracy entirely by casting their vote for the Nazi party, which was the fastest growing political party in Germany in that three-year period, or for their arch enemies, the communists, on the other side, who wanted to throw out the democratic process for their own vision of a utopian future, a utopian future based on all classes being wiped out, and the Nazis was all non-Aryan races being wiped out. 50% of the country, 50% of Germans voted to throw out democracy. And that's a staggering number right? that had lost faith in the democratic process because of a lot of externals and because a lot of internal ideas that are actually coming from external sources, religion, class ideology, <laughs> militarism, all externals, not really connected to oneself. So that is staggering. And there was certainly violence, right? In that three-year period, there was plenty of violence. The Nazi brown shirts are the most famous, but the communists had their, their street thugs as well. And other political parties had groups like Red Banner and others fought it out in the streets and oftentimes kind of overlapped with one another, um, meaning members of one group sometimes would leave that group and join the other relatively quickly. And so all those things could be present, right? The externals overwhelmed the internals. But I always ask this other question. 50% of the electorate voted to throw out democracy. But that means that 50% of Germans, in the midst of all of that suffering, midst of all of that uncertainty, midst of all those externals, didn't vote for the extreme. What happened with them? It's easy to say they got rolled over when the Nazis came to power just a few months later in early 1933. And eventually many did. But I would suggest, though, that it wasn't just about that. That you had 50% of an electorate that increasingly didn't know what to do in response to these big external changes. 
And these are big questions that none of us hope we ever have to answer. What would I do? How would I act on the basis of my own values? How would I respond in the face of open persecution? Literally being arrested for who I am or what I believe in or what I look like and maybe not surviving it. None of us want to ask that question. Too many people in history have had to ask that question. People today are having to ask that question in places like Ukraine and Iran. What I'm suggesting is there were a lot of people in Germany and then pick in this country today that simply don't know what to do, that simply don't know where they fit. And that is a recipe for disconnection as well. Cast it off. They're all crazy. There's nothing can be done. It's out of my control. There could be elements of truth to all those things. But exempting ourselves from a process that involves all of us, whether we're actively involved in it or not, doesn't seem to be a really good option in terms of being able to determine to the best of our ability what our choices actually are. In the case of that 50%, what we saw throughout the 30s, and of course into the horrors of the Holocaust and World War II, was among those who did not challenge the Nazis, which you could call a malaise of spirit, of the soul. And again, I don't want to paint too broad of a brush because it's just a general example. But I'm going to suggest that when there are places and times in the world where these types of issues are at hand, that type of disconnection, that type of malaise of the soul, that disconnect from our feelings and ourselves, and thus, as a consequence of that, from others, is really a driving factor in not only how it happened, but in why it continued to all get worse. And I don't care where you think that the sense of the soul or the spirit comes from, whether you think it was given by God or, or not, or just a part of us, or whether you even think it's made up. The reality is, we, no matter where it comes from, we respond emotionally to the now. And we make up stories about what it all means from the past and from the future. And all of that can bury us to the point that we just want to exempt ourselves from it, find simple solutions to complex problems, blame someone else, and therefore continue to do things the way we think they should be done or exempt ourselves in some cases to hide out. Isn't it interesting? I've just described fight, flight, and freeze. Three of the basic responses from our own individual central nervous systems. Hmm, if that's what happens to us physically and it's driven by our emotional states and our responses, it makes sense that all those things together would be driving things collectively. The one thing I haven't mentioned in that, of course, but I actually have mentioned, what I'm suggesting instead is flow. Just as much a legitimate part of our central nervous system. To recognize the feelings we're having, to not fight them, to not feed them, to let them flow. Understand that we can keep our footing in the flow of that river by knowing what our values are, being open to them changing, acting accordingly upon them, and continuing to engage in that flow. Am I in fight, flight, freeze? How can I be into flow? Taking deep breaths is a good place to start. Being kind to ourselves is a good place to start. Turning around and being kind to someone near us, whether we know them or not, is another good place to start. That's what we have control over. That's what we can 
determined. And then from that space, it makes it easier for us to make choices about what we want to do to be a part of the larger conversations and larger actions that we can take, whether it's in politics or in social justice, whatever it might be. Right now, I'm suggesting that collectively, generally speaking, we have it backwards. We're operating from the externals first that are being fed by people's disconnect and their fear and their blaming and their victimizing or their victim stance, claiming that position themselves, and not from really taking a look at their internal emotional landscape, connecting to that first and taking a look at their values and determining, are these really mine or are they what somebody else has been giving me? And how well are those things serving me? This isn't woo-woo. It's biology, psychology, lots of other science included. So, with that in mind, as you go into the week coming up, maybe take some deep breaths. Be aware of the fight, flight, freeze, and flow opportunities. What are those values that you hold dear, that you would like to cultivate? What steps can you take to better live by them or to identify them? And what do they mean for you in terms of connecting with your own sense of self and self-care and that of the people that matter to you and the people with whom you do not agree? You only have so much control over that, but you do have some in how we individually respond. Just some stuff to think about between now and next week. We'll have more to say about this next week, the day before the elections. Uh, but for now, thank you so much for listening to this episode of This Show is All About You. You can find out more about me. Listen to this at wordsbyjdk.com. You can also download this as a podcast from wherever you get your podcasts. Um, this show is all about you. Produced and distributed by Hubbard Radio Seattle. Eric Ryder is the in-studio producer, editor, mix master. Thank you so much, Eric. Shows made possible by the generous sponsorship of Airway Science for Kids. Check them out at airside.org. And the original theme music is by Dave Nelson of Lens Group Media. Special thanks for contributing to this episode and to all that went well for me this week has to go to Julia Cannell, Tawny and Dave Santabria, Justin Park for the hockey tickets, Ashley Kniebel, Kathy Lewis, Seth Mormon, Pete Connolly, Phil McCoy, Bruce Flommer, Eric Fletcher, Katie Beck, and Eric Crema. Special thanks to whoever invented Invisalign as braces. They may be expensive, but man, they're way better than the wire ones. Thanks to the staff at Airway Science for Kids for the fantastic program I attended last week for their high school students that are interested in aviation careers. What a fantastic experience that was. Check them out at airside.org. Whoever it was, thanks, who brought me free coffee last Saturday when I left my wallet at home. They wouldn't reveal who you were, so thank you. I will pay it forward. And to you listeners, thank you. I couldn't do this for you without you. And finally, as a way to send you off for the rest of your week, let's end with this original haiku. Denying feelings in times of uncertainty leaves out solution. Chins up, everyone.